Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Numbers. Hello and good morning, faithful listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bible Explained podcast with your host, Jen. And also, I have a guest on the podcast, and this has been a while since I've had a guest. You guys know about my internet problems. (laughs) I don't think I've had a guest on since the book of Leviticus, so it's been quite a while. But this is Lentrail Abstin joining us today, and he is a church planting pastor right now. He is in the process of planting his church in Euclid, Ohio. So Lentrail, go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody listening today. Yeah, greetings to all and I'm excited about being on the podcast today and looking forward to getting into God's word. So tell me a little bit about yourself with your church plant ministry going on and your family and whatever else you want to talk about. Say a fun fact about yourself. (laughs) Fun (laughs) fact. Well, I can't dance. Mm. Uh, That's something that I uh, have to acknowledge. I've tried in different occasions and have kind of got that looks like, no, that's not your thing. Stick to preaching. (laughs) preaching. My story is kind of, I kind of use an umbrella uh, statement. My story is from prisoner to pastor. Mm -hmm. And so as a young man, I, I was a knucklehead. I made a lot of wrong decisions grew up without a father and kind of looked to a lot of the wrong uh, role models. And that took me down a path that ultimately climaxed in me going to to prison um, when I was 17 uh, until I was 20. And it was there that I got saved. I met Jesus. He radically changed my life. And I even received my call to ministry there um, in prison. Since then, I have um, gotten married to uh, my lovely wife, Ingrid. We have three kiddos, Amir, Amaya, and Avi. Uh, our oldest is four. Our youngest is one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're out of hands and have to play zone defense with the kiddos. But being a father is a blessing ministry-wise. Um, I, I've served in the Dominican Republic for a little bit as a missionary, which is actually Ingrid's um, home country. Um, and then I was recently on staff at a church in Mansfield, Ohio, and I was there for almost two years. And I just started this new adventure of church planning in, in June. And so we're very fresh into this season of uh, co-working with God and, and seeing a new church started in Euclid, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And how is that going so far? <laughs> it's Every day is interesting. Every day is interesting. So the name of the game right now is just to meet people and develop uh, an understanding of the narrative of the city. And so every day I'm seeking to meet people and and, and ask good questions, kind of like what we want to do when we study the Bible. We want to ask the text questions and and try to discover, you know, what's here in in the truth of God's word. Uh, I want to ask people good questions to realize, you know, what's in their hearts and what's going on in this community. And so that's the name of the game right now. I have a goal of of trying to uh, meet two people a day. Nice. Uh, and so, yeah. And so some days it's more, some days it's none. And so, but God is good. God is faithful. 
And uh, we're excited in, in this work we're doing here. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Lentrail, for sharing that. And I got the chance to meet Lentrail and his beautiful wife and adorable kids. And they really are cute. His kids are so cute. His one-year-old baby, I, I just was staring at him the entire lunch. <laughs> I was like, oh, so cute. Oh, but anyway, yeah, so Lentrail's a great person that uh, came and spoke at our church and... I asked him to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about himself, but also about Numbers chapter 19, which is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be reading verses 1 all the way through 22, which is the entire chapter. So let's see what Numbers 19 has to say. I'm going to be reading out the W.E.B. version this morning. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which Yahweh has commanded. Tell the children of Israel to bring you a red heifer without spot, in which is no defect, and which was never yoked. You shall give her to Eliezer the priest, and he shall bring her outside of the camp, and one shall kill her before his face. Eliezer the priest shall take some of her blood with his finger, and sprinkle her blood towards the front of the tent of meeting seven times. One shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, her meat, her blood, with her dung he shall burn. The priest shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet, and cast it into the middle of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until the evening. He who burns her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and shall be unclean until the evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and lay them up outside the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel to use in water for cleansing impurity. It is a sin offering. He who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. It shall be to the children of Israel and to the stranger who lives as a foreigner among them for a statute forever. He who touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days, and he shall purify himself with water on the third day, and on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he doesn't purify himself on the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of a man who has died and doesn't purify himself, defiles Yahweh's tabernacle. And that soul shall be cut off from Israel because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. Every open vessel, which has no covering bound on it, is unclean. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain with a sword or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. For the unclean, they shall take of the ashes of the burning of the sin offering, and running water shall be poured on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the tent on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, and on him who touched the bone or the slain or the dead or the grave. The clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. On the seventh day, he shall purify him. He shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be clean at evening. But the man who shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of Yahweh. The water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. 
It shall be a perpetual state to him. He who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until the evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be clean, and the soul that touches it shall be unclean until evening. All right, Lentrail. So what stands out to you the most regarding this portion of scripture? Yeah, there's there's a lot here. But I, I think one of the first things that comes to my mind, um, it kind of sparks from verse 11. Why are there dead bodies? Um, or what's the concern about dead bodies? Which kind of makes us dig into the context, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have brought out the idea of where the Israelites are, um, and some of the complaining that has happened thus far, then even God's judgment upon uh, the Israelites and declaring that, you know, basically that whole generation, except for, for two, uh, will not enter the promised land. Their children under 20 years old, they will enter, but all that uh, older generation will, will die there in the wilderness. And if we just take a step back and think about it, God is saying, you know, possibly, uh, we don't know how many there were. Let's just say there were a million people there. And just think about how much death will, will be the result of, of, of God's judgment. And so hundreds of thousands of people would die there in the wilderness. And, and so that kind of brings the idea of, okay, death is happening. It's a result of God's judgment. But what is this idea of cleanness and being unclean? Um, Because that comes up a number of times in this passage as well. He says, if you touch a body, a dead body, you will be unclean and unclean. You hear the word a lot. And so for the Israelites, uh, this idea of being unclean was this idea of broken fellowship with God. And so if one is unclean, he's no longer in that direct, in the, the right communion with the Lord. And so this is a big issue. Death was all around them as their, uh, their co-Israelites were dying. And so uh, to deal with this, this, this concept of being unclean because death is all around, is kind of the, the, the theme that kind of merges from this passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and not even just with God's judgment, but even it says here with um, also with war. So like if you're, mm-hmm. you know, fighting alongside your fellow Israelites and somebody dies next to you, even in that case, you would be considered unclean if you touched a dead body during war or a battle. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of lots of death, lots of uncleanness yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so God, I guess the next thing that we can kind of meditate and reflect on from this passage is that God in his mercy provides a path of cleansing, a pathway to be cleansed in light of all the death that will be around uh, the people of Israel. And so, um, and and this is what we're kind of dealing with in chapter, in verses one through 10, it's kind of like the preparation for the, the cleansing or the preparation of the water, which will be used in the cleansing. And in verses 11 and following kind of tell us how uh, the the water is to be applied and what happened if it's not applied. And so it's kind of the implications of, of after the water is made. Mm. Right. So I don't know if I, I always send uh, my guests um, <laughs> questions I'll ask them beforehand, but sometimes I don't always follow those. So Lentrail. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. 
how can this water that the priest is making, how can it clean them? Like, how is it cleansing them? Yeah, that's a great question. And so we know ultimately it's not uh, the perfect cleansing, right? That would only be, uh, come through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this cleansing was, in fact, uh, effective. And, and God uh, used the, the, the sacrifice we see in verse uh, 2 of the the heifer without defect and without blemish. And so that was part of what made this water. Um, so there was a sacrifice, there was blood. And, and so there, this water was created on the basis of a sacrifice. And so, you know, um, mm -hmm. just that principle that uh, forgiveness, cleansing must come through death. Mm -hmm. um, death of one. And so that's the principle here is uh, forgiveness, cleansing is, is made possible because there has been a sacrifice. Right. Because that's what it says here that um, was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Eliezer, the priest, was supposed to oversee this sacrifice of this red heifer or a red, I guess, female cow, right? And yeah, uh, cow. Yep. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's supposed to be a female cow that they were supposed to burn completely, like everything, even even the poop. Everything was supposed to be burned. And after that, the priest shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet and cast it into the middle of the burning of the heifer. So this was part of the process of making this purifying water. And I'm pretty sure there's symbolism in there for sure that we could oh, yeah. look at. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, sure. for sure. Yeah, with each individual ingredient. Like I know, for example, like scarlet represents, you know, the blood. And like we could we could really go into that, I guess. But, um, you know, then the priest after that was supposed to wash his clothes because this particular burning of this animal would cause the priest to be unclean. And same with the guy who was uh, burning it as well, because there was two people here, the priest and some other guy here. <laughs> I'd have to burn it and then take the ashes out and whatever. So, yeah, there's... And it's interesting because it sounds like in verse 3, as uh, Eliezer is overseeing the sacrifice, and then it, it continues to use this language of the priest. I think it's making a distinction between Eliezer and the other priests, right? He, we know that he was the high priest. And so Eliezer in this process actually keeps his hands clean. Mm. The one who makes the sacrifice and then there's another one who gathers the ashes. They both are defiled in the process. And I thought that that was really interesting. It's almost like this paradox, right? The paradox of, of, of cleansing, because the, the one who is clean in the process is polluted, and those who are polluted through the process um, are made clean. And we know that this is a, is a fascinating picture that actually points to another paradox, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Paradox of, of our Lord. Right. Then the water is made, right? Because they gather up the ashes of the heifer, it says in verse 9, outside of the camp in a clean place. And then after that, it says that the water is made. So like, how was this water made? Was the ashes spread in it? Yeah, that's know. what it seems like. It seems like there's some type of mixture of ashes and water. Mm -hmm. Then it says the water will be kept for the uh, impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. Hmm. 
That's interesting. Yeah. I think it, yeah, we've, we've talked a lot about sin offerings on the podcast. So I think it's interesting that this also is considered a sin offering because death is the result of sin. And this water was only spread on the people if they were near a dead body. Mm-hmm. And so that, that just is interesting to me because, you know, death is the result of sin. So this had to be a sin offering because we are the ones through our sin that caused death. Yeah. And, and I don't want to underemphasize the, the circumstance in which the Israelites find themselves. We, we know that the text also highlights that death happens because of war, but there's thousands and thousands of, of Israelites dying because of their rebellion and refusal to enter into, uh, to go and fight the giants and go into the promised land. And so because of their rebellion, right, God's justice and it's causing forth thousands and thousands of people to die. And, and we need to take a second, take a step back and realize like death is the consequence for rebellion. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we've seen that quite a bit already. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask one last question, which is another one I didn't prepare you for. <laughs> and the question is, what can we take from this nowadays? Like the average Christian looking at this portion of scripture, what can they take out of this? Because you guys know that I always have to end each podcast with the moral of the story. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I-, I would say even in the midst of our rebellion, God is still pouring out grace on us. So as an act of their rebellion, not wanting to go over and fight the battle, God called them to fight. Many are, are judged and will die in the wilderness. But God, in his grace, uh, not only gives uh, this opportunity for uh, their children to be cleansed and for the people to be cleansed, uh, this points forward to a greater sacrifice for our personal rebellion against God. And, and so it, it shows that God is willing to, to cleanse us from our rebellion by his grace. And also, it, it kind of keeps the story moving forward. Like what? So they're in the wilderness. People are dying. And you could have almost asked, like, what's what's going to happen next, right? God is saying, hey, I'm still moving this mission forward. As people are dying, here's a way in which we can continue to have communion with, here's a way you can continue to have communion with me through this cleansing. And the narrative is continuing to move forward. And that's just an act of, act of God's grace. Um, and I would... I would draw I would draw uh, the audience attention to uh, the paradox of the atonement of Jesus in Second Corinthians chapter five. I'll read this real quickly. I know we're closing, but uh, I think it's just a, a perfect way to kind of wrap up the episode. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen to twenty-one. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be reading in the English Standard Version. I didn't get the. <laughs> That's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But it says, and all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here it is. 
for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And what does that mean? That Christ, he became sin. He knew no sin. We know that Christ was perfect, but Paul says he became sin. Is he saying he became polluted as the priest here in, in, in Numbers 19? Well, of course not. When Christ was on the cross, he was treated as if he was polluted. He was treated as if he sinned, but it was sacrificial and it was in the place of sinners. And so here's the paradox where the perfect one is being treated as if he was polluted or had sinned. He was crushed and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for the sake of our forgiveness, cleansing and reconciliation to God. And so I think it's a perfect parallel we see in Numbers 19 where the priest is, is polluted, but the, the, the cause is for the others to be made clean. And Christ's sacrifice was for the sake of others, those who would believe in him and trust in him and come to him. He gave up his life and was punished so that we can be cleansed and reconciled to God. So this text reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus in the stead of and for us who have rebelled against God. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and wrapping it up so nicely. This is why I love having guests, because I get sick of hearing myself speak, and I need other people to speak, and they do so much better than me usually. So <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Lynn Trailer. I, I do appreciate you coming on the podcast. And if you guys want to help support Lentrail on his uh, mission of planting a new church in Euclid, then you can go over to orchardneo.com and designate a giving for Lentrail Abstin's church in Euclid. But also, and so I can drop a link to that in the bio of this podcast episode. And I'll also drop your contact. Can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll give kind of like my social media handles and that'll be in the you can put that in the, the description. The bio. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Perfect. And, uh, okay, I'll do that then. I'll, I'll put uh, some of his social media links in there also that you guys can click over to and connect with Lentrail. But anyway, Lentrail, thank you so much. I do appreciate it once again. And for everybody listening in, happy listening and God bless. <laughs> <laughs>